Right, go ahead and open up your Bibles, something you can take notes with this morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to be with the people of God. All right. All right, all right. Mm. Oh, hey, everybody. Go ahead and open up your Bible to Genesis chapter 1. Who is this? What a catch, Patrick Poor. Open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter one. (laughs) I have dunked a basketball in church before, so you never know what's coming. And it was on a 10 foot goal. No, it wasn't. (laughs) But back in the day, oh. Back in high school, right? Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and stand up for the reading of the Word of God. Genesis chapter 1. If you're looking for it, first page, first chapter, making it easy for you this morning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 is what we're going to read this morning. If you're there, say, I'm there. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God... And that's what we got for today. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. God. Let's go ahead and take a seat. We are starting off our year, if you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, with um, a, a, word for, a word from the Lord for us. We do this every year in January. We spend our, uh, our kind of our month of January talking about what's God speaking to us to focus on as a church this year. And for us this year, that word is turn aside, turn aside. Part one, we talked about Exodus chapter three, when Moses sees the burning bush and uh, he had a lot of questions, but we said the Lord had a question for Moses. Would he turn aside to see what was going on? And when he turned aside, the Lord spoke to him. And we said, this year we do not need a refresh from God. We don't need a restart from God. We don't, we don't need anything from God. What we need is to turn aside to God. That's what we need to do this year. Last week, we did part two of this series talking about following Jesus in a post-Christian, post-modern culture. Talked about John verse, or chapter 14, Verse six, we are living in a culture whose momentum is leading us away from Jesus. And we must make the conscious decision to turn aside, to turn aside, not not course correct a little bit, but absolutely turn aside to the way, the truth, the life, Jesus, Jesus. I want to preach to you part three this morning as we finish up this series, The Turn Aside. And the title for this morning, part three, is This Changes Everything. This Changes Everything. If you've been around uh, our church for a while, you've heard some of this before, but um, I grew up in church and but didn't, until I was about 20 years old, it never really clicked with me, this whole like actually knowing Jesus thing. And I had uh, been in church, been in Christian school my whole life. I knew a lot of stuff, but I didn't know Jesus. I didn't didn't really know him. And when I was uh, about 20 years old in college, towards the end of my freshman year of college, long story short, kind of wake up one morning and just realize my life's a joke. This ain't going anywhere. 
I had everything look good on the outside. Things were sort of headed in the right direction as far as anybody could see, but I just knew. Nobody had to tell me. I was dead. I was dead and I knew it on the inside. And um, I, I knew that that meant I had a decision to make. I could either just kind of keep living my life the way I was living it and just sort of see how it played out and kind of roll with that. Or I could actually take seriously this Jesus. I had given my life to Jesus. I'm, I'm sure I had given my life to him. And I had had powerful moments with God before, but I knew that I needed to kind of make that decision once and for all. Am I really going to follow him? Am I just going to kind of do stuff or am I going to actually follow this man, Jesus? And uh, I had to make that decision that morning in I decided, you know, I don't even really fully know what that means. <laughs> and I don't really know, God, what you could even do with me. I don't know what Jesus can do with me at this point. But um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my life to him and really actually follow him. I had some addictions. I had a whole bunch of mess on my insides. But I just thought, you know what? I can't handle it on my own clearly. So the only choice I really have is to lay my life down at the feet of Jesus and see if he can do anything with me. And I started reading my Bible. I had read my Bible before, but um, I started reading it on my own. And I actually had hunger in my heart to know Jesus at this point. And I wanted to read it, not just to learn some things, but I needed to know Jesus. If I'm going to follow him, I've got to know him. And so what, what I've been told is that going to this book is a good place to start doing that. So I went to my Bible and I started reading it. And have you ever written, have you ever read your Bible and read something that you've read before, but after you read it this time, you're kind of like, has that been there this whole time? Like that, that, that's new. I, Cause I didn't see that part before. <laughs> I felt like that was happening kind of every page that I turned to. It was like, wait a second, wait a second. This is wild. And what I realized was that if, if this is true, if this is true, if what this says about God and who he is, what he's like, if, if this is true, what it says about what then therefore I am like in him and what life is like following it. If, if this is for real, this does not like just change some things in my life. This doesn't just change what I do on Sunday mornings. This doesn't just change how nice I am to some people. This doesn't just change maybe even what I do with a few minutes of my time in the morning to try to like kind of line up with it. This doesn't do, this doesn't change a few things. This changes everything. Like everything. Genesis 1, 1, starting right there. <laughs> First four words of the Bible. We've all heard them a lot, whether you've been in church much of your life or not. We all know Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we move on until we can get to the New Testament where all the good stuff is. <laughs> First four words of the Bible. God's making a point. God's got something to say. He, he's not just trying to talk about one part of a Bible that is just a bunch of things disconnected together. No, he's actually laying the entire groundwork and framework for the everything you're about to read after this. From the fifth word to the last word, he's trying to set the tone here. He's got something to say in these first four words. And if these first four words are true, then this changes everything. I am so glad that the Bible doesn't start with once upon a time, God, 
Once upon a time in a faraway land, God. I think God is very intentional with the words that he picked, these first four words. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. The most important thing about these four words, obviously, is what they do say. They make one very strong point. In the beginning, God. (laughs) Very clear. What's maybe the second most important thing about these four words is what they don't say. What they do say is important because if these words are true, if in the beginning God, then it would make sense that God who is in the beginning would have some things to say that are worth hearing about, you know, everything, (laughs) my life, my thoughts, my preferences, the world I live in, how I ought to navigate it. I mean, one of the things that I've heard a lot of people say is like, why, why should I even listen to what God said? Well, if, if in the beginning God, that's why we should listen. <laughs> that's why we should listen. It would make sense to seek him. It would make sense to follow him. It would make sense to know him, to submit to him. If in the beginning God, then that would all make a lot of sense to trust him, to put our hope in him. That would make sense if this is true. So it is important what this word, what this verse says. It is important what it, that what it does say, but what is also important is what it does not say. The second most important thing about these four words is what they don't say. They say in the beginning, God. They do not say in the beginning, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, the United States of America, the Constitution, money, you, me, your thoughts, my opinions, our emotions, my time, Family, health, work, sports, hobbies, skin color, background, your nationality, your happiness. In the beginning, God. Last week, I told you that we were spending last week talking about culture, and this morning we would talk a little bit about worldview. So I'm going to follow through on that for a second here. I'm going to talk a little bit about worldview. What, 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 is, what is a worldview? Do I have a worldview? How do I know what my worldview is? What's a, what's a worldview? Well, worldview is the way you view the world. It's fun how compound words work sometimes, you know? Your worldview is the way that you view the world. I heard somebody say one time, your worldview is the lenses through which you see everything that you don't even know you're wearing. Ravi Zacharias, who was a, an apologetic for the Christian faith and died, I think it was last year, but he, he said something powerful. He said that any worldview that you have needs to answer four questions. The big four questions of life, origin, meaning, morality, 
and destiny. Where did we come from? Why are we here? How do we do this? And where is this all going? Every worldview needs to answer those four questions. And I believe that it'd be fair to say that um, the, your worldview, you could say that your worldview is formed by whatever you put at the beginning. The prevailing worldview of the world that we're living in, we talked last week about our culture. Culture is probably more the, the outside forces that we're living in. Worldview is a little bit more um, from the inside out, whereas culture is kind of the outside coming in on you. If that's making sense to everybody. So the, the prevailing culture that we talked about last week is that the, the forces on the outside coming in is it's a postmodern, post-Christian culture. But the worldview that, that is, is mostly trying to get on our insides and bring its way out, uh, we could call secular humanism. Secular, secular humanism, maybe it's a word you've heard before, maybe it's not. I'll just summarize it really briefly um, by taking those two words, secular humanism. Secular meaning that there's a, it's a worldview that assumes that there is nothing supernatural about the world or reality at all. There, there's no God, there's no nothing, there's nothing supernatural. So that's, that's what's held in that word, secular. Humanism, the second part of that, would say, so the, the, as far as origin is concerned, there's nothing supernatural about origin. When it comes to these other questions of meaning, morality, and destiny, we can find all those answers by philosophy, reason, intellect, discussion, discovery, the sciences. Basically, we can find it all within human. So, you can see how if that's the prevailing worldview of the day, that that might set the stage for the postmodern self-centered culture that we talked about last week. When God is not the origin, we become the centers of the world and we become the center of our own world. It's like we read from G.K. Chesterton last week. He said, if Jones is going to worship the God within, what that ultimately means is Jones is going to worship Jones. So when God is not the origin, we become the center of the world and we become the center of our own worlds. We've been talking about this word turn aside for 2021 and we've been getting excited about that, but we said last week what it actually is is a definition for the word repent, which is less, ex less easy to get excited about. Oh, when God said turn aside, hallelujah. No, he said repent, easy pastor. Easy. <laughs> repent. Repent. Repent means, it means stop going in the direction you're going, turn around, and now head in the opposite direction. And maybe you've heard that before. You've probably seen a pastor model repentance like this before. Repentance means I'm doing this. I stop. I turn. Come on. Yeah. Seen it before? I've done it before. So you've probably seen it before. It, it definitely speaks to actions and behaviors, but it also speaks to thoughts, which is to say it speaks to worldview. It re repent in, in the original language, it means to change the way, not just you act, but change the way you think. Change the way you're looking at everything, the way you're processing everything, the way you're working through everything. That, that's the depth of the word repent. And we need to realize that we are in a lazy river of culture that has, has us headed towards a waterfall. 
Repentance is that realization. I don't need a little bit of this or a little bit of that. I need a hard stop. I need a turn about, and I need a fight to go back this direction against the flow, against the momentum. Repent. Repent. Maybe if we keep saying it, it'll stop sounding so bad. You know, just we say it more, like repent. I don't think it's working. Repent. (laughs) Repent is repent is different than I'm sorry. Um, that's important to note that repent is different than I'm sorry. I'm sorry is a decision that you make. I repent is a direction that you move in. So they need each other, but they're still different. The Bible talks about walking out our repentance, walking it out. It's, it's the direction that you're now headed. You have to walk out your repentance. You, you make a decision to repent, which is I'm on the lazy river, I'm pulling this way, and now I just put my foot down, right? That's a decision that I, I'm, I repent, but then in order to actually repent, it's, it's not all caught up simply in that one decision. You have to now walk out that repentance, You have to walk out that repentance. So for example, let's say hypothetically, hypothetically speaking at my house, the trash is full and I haven't noticed, hypothetically. And Heather calls to me and says, hey, Andrew, the trash is full. Will you take it out? And I say, sure, babe, just a minute. Classic, right? Just a minute. I say, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll I'll take the trash out. And then hypothetically, like four minutes later, I haven't taken the trash out yet. And Heather says, Andrew, you said you would take out the trash, but you didn't. Will you take out the trash? In order to live out my calling as a mighty man of God who leads his household, I need to do two things. Number one, I need to say, I'm sorry, (laughs) right? I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the thing I said I would do that I didn't do, right? I'm sorry. Okay, so that, that's good. But stopping it, I'm sorry, ain't going to work. Otherwise, four more minutes from now, we're going to have the same conversation. And when I say I'm sorry again, it's going to start running out. You know what I'm saying? It's all hypothetical. It's never happened before. <laughs> so number one, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I recognize I, did, I didn't do something I said I would do. I did something. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, number one. Number two is I repent which means not just like, I'm sorry. What repentance means is I am now on my feet. I am now walking towards the trash can. I am now pulling out the drawer thing. I am now pulling up the bag of trash. I am now tying the bag of trash. I am now carrying the bag of trash out the door. I have taken now this bag of trash from the small trash can and I am moving towards the big trash can. I am now at the big trash can. I'm now lifting the lid. I'm now putting the bag in the big trash can. I'm now shutting the lid and I am now heading back inside to carry on (laughs) with what was happening before. That's how I walk out repentance. Can I get an amen from a married person somewhere? Making me feel like I'm the only one who forgets to take out the trash sometimes. (laughs) 
Now I am back inside. I have walked out my repentance and now you should kiss me, woman. Right? That's, that's the reward of repentance. <laughs> no, that, yeah, that part's her job. That part's her job. <laughs> but thanks for the help. <laughs> Repentance. Repentance, we could say it this way. Repentance is a road trip. I'm sorry is a moment. Repentance is a road trip. Repentance is a road trip. You got to go on that journey. We took a road trip over Thanksgiving. We drove to Texas. We had our like, as me was like six weeks old, I think at the time, and our other two kids, and we just rolled the dice. You know, I have no idea how this is going to go. It actually went pretty good, so that was awesome. Um, that offers nothing to this sermon other than just letting you know. That's how we spent our Thanksgiving. <laughs> Repentance is a road trip. See, as a follower of Jesus, I, I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord. I hear this good news and I am cut to the heart and I repent. I am, I am born again by the spirit of God. I am buried with him in baptism and I'm raised to live new life in Christ. I am an entirely new creation. The old has passed away and the new life has come in Christ. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. And now this life I live, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The wages of my sin was death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. I was dead in my trespasses and sins in which I once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive again together in Christ. By grace, we have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. It is not by your own doing, by your own work, but it is a gift of God so that no one can boast. Because now we are Christ's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'm now on the road trip of repentance. 
I am now baptized by one spirit into one body under one Lord. I am now part of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a, a, a people of his own very possession that I might proclaim the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I have eaten of the flesh of the son of man and I drink his blood and therefore I now have life in his name. I'm just going to keep preaching until I'm not the only one standing up in church anymore. I abide in Jesus and Jesus abides in me that I might bear much fruit for the glory of God the Father. I am now being formed into the likeness of Christ and continuing in him so that when he appears, I might be confident and unashamed before him at his coming, that I might approach the throne of grace with confidence, not with a spirit of fear, and that calls me back into slavery, but the spirit of adoption that I have received by whom I now cry, Abba, Father, that I might approach the throne of grace with confidence and receive for this light and momentary affliction an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison so that I might have something of worth when I come and stand before the great white throne and take off my sandals on that holy ground and hide my face in adoration and thankfulness and along with the elders and the living creatures and all the hosts of heaven and the saints of all of time cast my crowns at the foot of the throne of the Lion of Judah, the Lamb who was slain, who takes away the sins of the world, slain from the foundations of the earth, the ancient of days, the Alpha and Omega, the God in the beginning, the God of the end, that I might cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, who is to come. Repentance is a road trip. Jesus is the way. He's the vehicle. He's the fuel. He's the captain. He's the destination. Repentance is a road trip, my friends. If this is true, this changes everything. As we start off this year with this amazing, beautiful invitation from Jesus, Friends, turn aside. <laughs> turn aside. I believe that God is calling us to walk out this repentance. He, he, he's calling us to walk out this turning aside. Turning aside, it, it is a decision, but then we've got to walk out the results of that decision. I believe God is calling us to walk out, turning aside over the course of this year in two very specific ways that I want you to write down as we go through them. Over the last few weeks, I've just been trying to, trying to, trying to, trying to bust through the wall for us that, that we've built that, that keeps us from turning aside, that, that I've tried to shine some light on the things that are um, pulling us away from him that maybe we don't even know about. I, I've been trying to, trying to do that so that we can get to this right here. I've been talking about 
we need to turn aside. And then we said, well, turn aside really just means repent. And now I want to talk about what do we need to repent from? What do we need to repent from? I believe there's two specific things that we need to turn aside from as we walk out this repentance this year. Number one, I believe that God is calling us to repentance from a self-centered worldview. Repentance from a self-centered worldview. Turning aside, turning away, going in the opposite direction of a view of the world that starts with me in the middle. What is a self-centered worldview? A self-centered worldview is a view in which the world revolves around you. As I've been praying into this word really for the last couple of months, I've been getting really convicted. (laughs) But it's good, but it's kind of (laughs) stinky. That's what a self-centered worldview is. What are are the indicators of a self-centered worldview? What's an indicator that maybe you have a self-centered worldview? What's an indicator? How can you know if a self-centered worldview is trying to get into you and shape you? What should I be looking for? What should I be on guard against? Here's some indicators of a self-centered worldview. In a self-centered worldview, everything that doesn't go your preferred way is an attack against you. In a self-centered worldview, everything and everyone who doesn't agree with you deeply offends you. Everything that doesn't go your preferred way is an attack against you. Everything and everyone who doesn't agree with you is deeply offensive to you. Everything that doesn't celebrate everything about you is throwing hate at you. Everything that doesn't celebrate everything about you is just throwing hate at you. Some indicators of a self-centered worldview. What's the impact of a self-centered worldview? What are some things I can be looking at in the world that I'm living in or even my very own life? What's some fruit I can be looking for that if I see it, I know that that right there is a result of a self-centered worldview. I might need to do some digging. What's the impact of a self-centered worldview Unsatiable anger, bitterness, division. Hatred, hopelessness, isolation. See, the reason that these things are the the impact and the fruit of a self-centered worldview is that, like we said, in a self-centered worldview, everything that doesn't go the way I prefer it to go or anyone who doesn't agree with me or everything that doesn't just celebrate everything about me is now the enemy, right? Because the world revolves around me. And you just give that a little bit of time and you're gonna find out real quick, all of a sudden, everybody's the enemy (laughs) because the world doesn't revolve around you And so when all of that happens, the result is you start pulling away from everything and everybody. And so that's how you get isolated. 
because it's you against the world. And it's just haters out there. And everybody's against you. And you can't succeed. And so that makes you hopeless. And it makes you hate everybody. Which makes you want to divide from everybody. But you get enough space from people that you're mad at, and it just becomes bitterness after a little while. And that's where that insatiable anger comes from that we're all seeing everywhere. You know, it's like, I'm so angry. What could fix it? Probably nothing. I'm just going to be angry. What's the impact of a self-centered worldview? I'm defined by me. That's how you know there's a self-centered worldview at work. If, if everything about you or if everything about an individual is simply just defined by the individual, I'm completely defined by my politics, by my sexuality, by my skin color, by my background, by my denomination, by my opinion on this one theological issue, by this one pastor that I listen to, by this podcast that I follow, by my money, by my emotions, by my opinions. I, I'm completely defined by those things. Because when I am the center of my world, everything in my world is defined by me. So number one, I believe God's calling us to repent from a self-centered worldview. I know this is like really heavy, but just like being free from that sounds awesome. <laughs> right? Let's keep, let's keep our eyes on the prize here. <laughs> Number two, the second thing I believe uh, God's calling us to as we walk out turning aside is that I believe God is calling us to a reformation from a self-centered faith. A reformation from a self-centered faith. What is supposed to happen when we give our lives to Jesus, what the Bible says that I read through earlier, the result of that, what, what's supposed to happen is that when I give my life to Jesus, what happens is I now start with a Christ-centered faith. And that Christ-centered faith then forms in me a Christ-centered worldview. But instead of a Christ-centered faith forming in us a Christ-centered worldview, believe that, that we have, and I'm starting, starting with me here, more than I realize, I've allowed a self-centered worldview to form in me a self-centered faith. Instead of a Christ-centered faith shaping a Christ-centered worldview, the momentum of the world that I'm living in is trying to make a self-centered worldview shape in me a self-centered faith. Self-centered faith. What are the indicators of a self-centered faith? Self-centered faith uh, is marked by self-centered songs, self-centered prayers, self-centered spiritual practice. That would make sense, right? <laughs> self-centered theology. That's the mark of a self-centered faith, a self-centered theology. Uh, so you're hearing a lot of this now in your life. This is this is big, and this is like hard. <laughs> uh, but we know a self-centered faith by self-centered theology starts to sound like, God wouldn't do that. I don't like that. 
I don't think God would do that because I wouldn't do that. I don't think God does it that way because I wouldn't do it that way. I don't want a God that like that. God won't judge me. He loves me. God made me like that thing, whatever. How could he ever love me and want me to change that? What is the impact of a self-centered faith? The impact of a self-centered faith is a self-centered church. A self-centered church. How can we be unified being submitted to Christ if Christ is submitted to each one of us? How can we strengthen each other when we're all just here to get fed? How can we love our enemies when we're waiting on them to love us first? How can we show the world that we are his disciples by the way we love one another if we're too busy crucifying each other? going to take advantage of this moment to say something. Um, don't use your social media to talk mess about another Jesus follower. Just don't. If you got something to say, go to them and say it. If you're not in relationship enough to say it to them like that, you got no busy worrying about it. No business worrying about it. Let's start with us. Come on, I mean, right? I mean, just like, man, we're so busy crucifying each other. God is calling us back to Genesis 1, verse 1, to remind us in these first four words, in the beginning, God. What that means is that life is about God. The world revolves around God. There's a lot of good theology in these first four words. I'm telling you that. Life is about God. This world revolves around God. Now listen to me carefully. It's also telling us very clearly, the Bible is about God. <laughs> the world's not about you or me. And neither is the Bible. This, this all of it. It's about God. So how do we do this? How do we walk out this repentance? How do we walk out repentance from a self-centered faith? How do we go through the process of a reformation from a self-centered faith? We turn aside to the word of God. The Moses kind of turn aside. The, I know you've got a whole lot of questions, but let's start with taking off our shoes and hiding our face and just saying, here I am, kind of type of turn aside. Turn aside to the word of God. I want you to pull out your phones for a second and open up a text message. And there's gonna be something on the screen. 
a phone number for you to text, and you're gonna text the words biblical formation to the number on the screen. Just at least humor me, <laughs> even if you don't want this. <laughs> Pull out your phones. <clears throat> yep, there we go. Text biblical formation to the number on the screen there. Um, so starting next week, the end of this series is not the end of this journey. We are now on the road trip of repentance. So starting next week, going next week through Easter, we're going to go through a road trip that I'm calling biblical formation. Um, we call it a road trip. Some of you may want to, some of you really don't want to think about it like this, but some of you might want to think about it like this. Think almost more like uh, a class or a college course than a sermon series. What we're going to do is we're going to go through the road trip of biblical formation. We're going to spend these 12 weeks. What you're pulling up is the syllabus for the next 12 weeks. So you know what's coming. So you know where we're going. For the next 12 weeks, including Good Friday, we're going to be spending our time in Genesis 1 through 3 so that we can be formed by what the Bible says. We're going to have four sections that we're going to go through. Number one, section one is the universe. Section two is humanity. Section three is brokenness. Section four is salvation. How do we get formed by the Bible about these four things? So that we can turn from a self-centered worldview into a Jesus-centered worldview. So that we can be reformed from a self-centered faith and have formed in us a Jesus-centered faith. On the page two of what you're looking at, you're going to see something. Uh, you're going to see some additional resources to help us get the most out of this short time that we have. Um, obviously, we'll, we'll be doing this for the rest of time until we all die, but just bear with me here. We're going to look at these 12-week chunk. And, and, and if you think about like almost kind of that course, you know, it's like part of a course is you got to sign up for it. But then if you want to get something out of it, ooh, hey, if, if you want to get something out of it, you got you to gotta actually show up to class, right? And then generally there's like, if you want to get more, the most out of it, you generally have to like, you can't just not do the homework. You kind of got to read the book. You know what I'm saying? So there's no homework and book in that sense. But that's what these additional resources are to help us make sure that we're giving ourselves to this fully. So what you're going to see is uh, the Spending Time with Jesus podcast. We're going to be continuing that every weekday. I think it goes on at like 5 a.m. on Spotify and iTunes. Three to five minutes to help you get your time started with Jesus every morning. And we're going to be following along the lines of what we're talking about. So if you're listening on Sundays and then you're thinking, okay, I, I want to learn how to pray into this. I want to learn how to go deeper into this that's going to be a great resource for you. The second resource is life group. If you're not part of a life group and you want to give yourself to this biblical formation, get in a life group because this is going to shape what we're talking about. The goal is that on Sundays, it frees me up to open the can of worms and then everybody, we can all sit down and actually talk about it as friends. Does that sound good? And then the third thing is we're starting a new podcast starting this Thursday at noon. We're calling it Honest Conversations with My Pastor. I want to know what questions do you actually want to talk about? We're going to be about 20 minutes long every week. We're going to have some, some rotating hosts. We're going to sit down and ask some of the questions that you want to ask in response to the things we're talking about so that this isn't just like something that I'm talking about up here. We can actually work through the things that are hard about this because here's the bottom line. It's hard swimming against the current. So if it feels like work, you're doing it right. Like we talked about last week. Be encouraged. See, when Moses turned aside... It started him on a journey. It started him on a journey that he could have never imagined. That one decision to turn aside, he learned over the rest of his life, this changes everything. So that's what we're going for. We're going after this like it actually changes everything. And it sounds kind of intimidating, 
sounds kind of like a lot. And it is a lot. That's because it's a lot. <laughs> everything is a lot. <laughs> this changes everything. But we got to keep in mind, we got to remember, when one man, when one man in all of his weakness turned aside, God had the man he needed to rescue a nation. I want you to stand up as we close our time together this morning. This is an amazing time to be alive, my friends. This is an amazing time to be alive following Jesus. Think about this for a second. You are the one. You are the one. You are the one that God picked in this time, in this nation, in this city, in your workplace, in your friend group, in your neighborhood, in your family. You're the one. You're the one God showed up to right here, right now in a burning bush just saying, would you turn aside? God could have showed up to a lot of Israelites, but he, for whatever reason, picked Moses. God could show up to a lot of people and he's picked us. We're a part of this. You are a part of this. He is with us. We must remember, church, God hears the cries of humanity. God remembers his promises. God sees the world and his struggles. God knows what it's like to be a human in the midst of all of this. And God has come. As we start this journey together, we must remember the question is not, is God near? My friends, he is near. The question is, will we turn aside? God, I don't know how you found me here, but here I am. God, I don't know what you could ever do with me, but here I am. God, I'm so weak, and I, but here I am. I'm gonna have our prayer team come on up. If you need prayer for anything in your life, please don't miss this opportunity to get prayer at church. Let's worship and let's sign up for this journey that God's calling us to. Jesus, we love you. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, in these moments to come and move us forward. Teach us to turn aside. Teach us to repent and be reformed by you and your word. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.